at law school, corporate clerkship recruitment is considered to be especially demanding. Some of the dedicated lawyers who have survived this vicious process are part of an elite squad known as Allens. These are their stories. This episode of Allens Confidential is produced on the lands of the Gadigal and Wurundjeri peoples. We recognise the traditional owners' continuing connection to lands, waters and culture and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples joining us today. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We have a cracker of an episode for you today. As always, I am joined by my fabulous co-host, Will Bertolo, and today we have two incredible guests, Rachel Nicholson, who is a partner in our Melbourne Disputes team, and Andy Tolle, who is a grad in the same team. Now, speaking of teams, Will, (laughs) he is laughing there because I promised I wouldn't say that. Today, Will and I are particularly excited because we're talking about a topic very close to our hearts. So today we are talking all things LGBTQI. So coming out at work, our stories and experiences and uh, all the fun we've had along the way. So Pride Month, like all months, is the perfect time to load up your Spotify, Netflix and bookshelves with queer voices and stories and discover some of the best media in the world. Today, with a spin on the old classic, I'm going to kick off by asking our guests for their top LGBTQI content that they are reading, watching or listening to. Andy, let's start with you. Cool. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so I am going to go for the obvious TV um, show option, which is um, Pose on uh, on FX. It's a Ryan Murphy, but like really more specifically, it's written and um, acted by trans actors. So like Janet Mock and Our Lady J are behind the scenes. And then you've got like absolute baller act- actresses like Dominique Jackson, um, who just like absolutely are just fantastic. And it set- tells the story of um, the New York ball scene and kind of like the interpersonal relationships and just how like families are formed. And it's just, it's just a feast for the eyes <laughs> as well as being just absolutely gorgeous. And then what I'm reading at the moment, well, I'm, what I'm re- rereading is the song of Achilles, which yeah. is um, I'm a classics um, tragic and anything <laughs> that actually paints Patroclus and Achilles as the lovers they are um, <laughs> really sits well with me. Um, so I'm rereading that and that's gorgeous and some quality escapism. So that one's by Madeline Miller, which I highly recommend. That sounds much more meaningful and significant than the trash that I read. Yeah. <laughs> oh Absolutely. no, it's basically a Mills and Boons. Like I'm not, like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not um, kidding myself here. I love it. And, and Rachel, what about you? Well, I have to say I've read The Song of Achilles a couple of times and it is it is classy Mills and Boone that is LGBTQI content. It's um it's also totally hot. Um, but what I in terms of what I'm watching, I'm watching Master of None, which I just nice. love because it's so um rawly funny and awkward. And it sort of reminds me of Shit's Creek in normalizing LGBTQI mm. relationships. Um, but I'm also watching something that is total trash, but I just can't resist watching it. I have a soft spot for young adult fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And I'm watching Shadow Hunters. Oh my God. Oh, I love Shadow Hunters. It's so bad. But it's the, <laughs> the main relationship in it is these, these two gay guys, and it's the most gorgeous love story. And it's way more prominent in the TV show than in the books. But it just gives me hope because I think if this is what young adult people are 
drawn to and watching, it's really quite lovely. Yeah, it's really exciting, particularly to see um, young adult target market and, and and children children's TV shows and demographics and media changing before our eyes, and we're seeing versions of ourselves uh, in that media that just didn't exist. And I, I love that, and I love that you love young adult fiction. That's fantastic. So we might pivot and start talking about our own experiences now after that uh, feast of queer media. Um, Will, we all want to bring our full selves to work, but sometimes this isn't straightforward for everyone. Will, why does coming out matter to people and why is it relevant at work? Yeah, I think it's a really good question and something that I thought about before this episode because I don't think it's intuitive as to why something like sexuality or gender identity might be something you bring out uh, at work. I think a really important thing to remember is the the reason someone comes out at work is is a highly unique and particular decision and there's no right or wrong answer. But I guess to tell my story and not give advice on, you know, what anyone should or shouldn't do, I think it's it, it's it's a, a particularly unique experience in that I don't think that I was really given the choice in that, you know, many people who meet me just kind of know from meeting me that, you know, I'm gay and just from maybe the way I walk or the way I talk or whatever it was. And, you know, that when I was going through the interview process and, you know, going through university and high school, it was something that was told to me rather than something that I got to tell. So I... Going through that process, it wasn't really a discrete decision, but it was something that I could lean into or something that I could try and reduce. And I thought in that process, this wasn't going to be something that I really wanted to hide. And it's something I did want to share and I was excited to share. So I, you know, there's there's many different things you can do in that (laughs) recruitment process to try and bring up that, you know, you're part of the LGBT community. Like you can say you've volunteered at Mardi Gras. You can say that, you know, the firm's values align with yours, those sort of things. You could wear a mesh vest. You could wear a mesh vest to the interview. (laughs) Uh, You can do many different things, but uh, that one I decided not to do, um, (laughs) which is why I'm sitting in this room. But uh, yeah, I I think for, for the allies listening at home or people who might not understand why it's relevant, what some people aren't given the choice and they it's something they have to live with. And for others who do have the choice, it's an exciting part of your life that you might want to share with people. It does affect lots of things I do, does affect, you know, how I interact with people and and, and it is my world. So yeah, I, I I think there are many reasons people come out and they're all different, but those are the ones for me. And I'm really interested in also our guest perspectives on why come out at work. Rachel, you know, you come from a totally different context and background to us. Why do you think uh, coming out at work is something that's relevant or something that people, uh, you know, can or should do? Um, Well, I firmly believe that our lawyers do their best work when they bring their authentic selves to work. And if you're pretending that your identity isn't totally what it is or you're having to feel that you hide parts of who you are, parts of your personal life, then that can be a real obstacle to bringing your your full self to work. And I think intellectually it can put a break on the level of um, audacious thinking and innovation that that can and should occur um, in the workplace. Um, I also think there's a real degree of distraction and bandwidth emotionally and intellectually that goes into pretending to be something that you're not. Um, And if you can remove that, and remove the anxiety that goes with that, then um, you have that bandwidth to do other things with, like enjoy your colleagues in the workplace or, you know, get on get on with your work. Um, and also just at base, I think it's really important for staff to be happy 
and a happy workplace is a is a much nicer place to be for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you said is is re- really poignant about the amount of bandwidth it can take up, Rachel. I, I know in my experience, the one thing that I was somewhat surprised about, I think, after I came out for the first time was I had to keep doing it. <laughs> it doesn't just finish there. You have to do it again and again and again. And my experience has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, and it's very much in line with my personality to be sharing a fact about myself consistently anyway. So it's been great for me, but but I, I think that's a really important thing to touch on that, that for those that uh, are not at that stage yet, or perhaps haven't had positive experiences, or, you know, we're talking about years and years of systemic oppression here. It's not going to be easy for everyone overnight. That bandwidth can be debilitating in an environment where we want people to be um, as as free and innovative and and clever as they can be. Andy, have you got any insights on that? Yeah, um, I think that really any, I think the moment someone has an intersection which would provide benefit or like added understanding to any issue is always um, an advantage to any workplace or even just a friendship circle. Like I think that in order to kind of bring your full authentic self and if you are blessed to have the fantastic intersection of being queer, um, I think that should be kind of celebrated and respected. And I think going back to that um, kind of bandwidth point as well, which I think is really salient, is that um, you could it just becomes exhausting after a while. Like kind of I think back to before I came out and just that kind of constant fear or anxiety that was always attendant to those kind of conversations. And then if I was even just imagining what it would be like to have that all the time in a workplace, I just, I I would hate it. Um, So I just think that coming out at work is just, it's, it's a privilege to do. um, But once it's there, it's really a joy. Mm. Yeah, totally. I mean, I still remember from my clerkship, like pretending to be interested in cricket. Like I can't do that every day. (laughs) (laughs) That's taxing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's like, oh yeah. When they score the point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's it's it might be relevant as well for some of those listeners that we have um, today who who perhaps haven't ever worked in in a legal workplace, but are maybe about to start navigating a recruitment process, um, either here or at other law firms, or just in when they leave university. And I, I'm wondering if if any of you have um, any insights as to as to how you navigated that when you were first leaving university, because I suppose it's a slightly different position to the one that we're in now. We're kind of soundly in a firm. Do you did you take those same things with you, Rachel? I'd love to hear about your story at the firm. How was navigating that for you? Um, well, I worked at. Department of Justice for a couple of years before I I moved into Allen's and it was a very different workplace culture and environment. Um, I remember feeling that a lot of people were a lot more sort of um, muted in the way they engaged and perhaps not as colourful. That's changed a lot in Mm. 20 years of being at the firm and it it wasn't, it's just that that was a touch of conservatism as opposed to any resistance to difference. Um, but for me, um, I, I really didn't have the energy not to come out from the start and I had a girlfriend um, and I remember this came to me secondhand from someone who's a partner now who 
um, who said that they were talking about whether somebody should ask me out and then they saw me pashing my girlfriend. (laughs) She's not an option. Within about two days, everybody seemed to know. So the work was sort of done for me. But I think as well, you know, as you said before, Caitlin, it is an ongoing process and so developing skills is really important and you just get that patter down. I mean, I still have to come out all the time to my new grad, rotatees, to new clients, Mm. to a whole lot of people and um, you just get used to it, I guess. Yeah. Totally. I mean, Caitlin, what was your experience like at the firm? I mean, we haven't been here for all that long. It's been a couple of years now, but was your experience a positive one and, and kind of how did you do it? Yeah, certainly. So I, I uh, didn't come out during the, re- the recruitment process um, and it wasn't until I was kind of here as a grad a few years later um, that I did. And I think at that point it was there was some nerves, certainly, um, but also we were we had just been thrust into a one in a hundred years pandemic, and there was no way. I was already sitting in my in a shared bedroom with my sister in a bunk bed. I I was at that <laughs> point bringing so much of myself to work that <laughs> the fact that I had a long term partner that was a female was probably low down the list um, of oversharing. But it wasn't an overshare, and and immediately people engaged with it, and and it's only ever been positive. But that's not to say that people don't continue to encounter, you know, negative reactions. And that's something that I'm acutely aware of. But um, I have got the sense here, at least, that that if anyone was to react in, in a way that was problematic, I would have a thousand people behind me and, and I, you know, there, there would be no question as to the support that I would have um, and the, the overall response. So I feel very safe here and, and, I'm, and it is a privilege to feel safe and I'm lucky. Totally. So Andy, you've been through the recruitment process most recently out of all of us. What's your experience been like at other firms as well as here at Allen's? Well, it's been really good and also kind of train wrecky at times, I'll be really honest, you know, it just depends kind of where you're interviewing, what firm you're going to. My experience at Allen's has been just really, really lovely. Um, from the get go, I was very open, um, about, um, like my identity probably helped that my CV kind of had that I had been, I'd done a lot of, you know, I probably queered it up, you know, I, I was like, coded. Queer, it was coded. I, yeah, it was so, it wasn't even coded, like it's a queer director. Like I was, the queer, I was like into queer stuff on my CV, um, for my law school. So that was, um, pretty obvious, but then I kind of tended to use it a bit like a sword during some interviews. So I'd kind of really get on the front foot and be like, is this the kind of place that I would feel comfortable bringing my whole self to? And so I think in my Alan's interview, I even said, you know, like if you are transphobic, if you are homophobic, if you're a misogynist, like I will say something. <laughs> and they were kind of like, oh, okay. Um, which I'm sure was jarring, but it was honest. But then, and, and so, and since then I've had um, really good um, interactions um, throughout the process. Like at Alan's, they would kind of wheel out the committees and they were like, here's the whole like queer centered committee, which was really lovely to see early on. Um, I've also had like, some train wrecky times. Like I remember one time I was in an interview and I asked if the firm had a queer group and the um, answer from the relatively unprepared partner was, uh, n- uh, not really, but there are plenty of loud people in the office. Um, 
<laughs> so not great. Highs and lows. So yeah, few firms still have a long way to go, and I think yeah, that's an important one to remember is that we can only speak to our experience, but I'm personally very grateful for the one that I've had. <laughs> yeah, definitely the same. So mm, totally. Once we've gone through that recruitment process. Obviously, there's challenges in coming out in that process. And, and as I said earlier, there's no right or wrong answer. Once you're at the firm and have you know been employed here and you're either doing your clerkship or you're in your grad year or you've transferred laterally, does it come up at work and, and how do we navigate that? So, Andy, have you been, obviously you mentioned coming out in the interview process, but what's your experience been like now as a full-time employee in your grad year? Um, it's been really, really um, chill. Like it's what I really love so far is that of my four matters that I'm currently on at least 30 to 40% of the teams are queer identifying, which I just think is pretty fantastic. It goes kind of beyond just feeling like you're the token, Mm. you know, person in the office. Like the other day, I think in the first two months, I think I actually had majority on two of my three matters. Um, yeah. One was with Rachel and I, and then an essay, and then another one was there was and um, there was another essay and another junior. And so sometimes it feel, it was been really great to feel like I was in the majority a whole bunch of the time. Um, <laughs> so it's just kind of really uplifting to see um, not only you know queer people at your own level, but queer people at senior management. And then also obviously at Rachel's level at partner who are actually giving the instructions. So it really feels just really, really intoxicating. It's lovely. (laughs) That's great. And Rachel, I mean, from your perspective as a senior employee at the firm, are there things that you do to make employees more comfortable or how do you see your role as a, a senior leader at the firm to create a culture like this where people like Andy and Caitlin and I feel comfortable coming to work with our full selves? Yeah, there are there are numerous things we do, but there's a lot more that we can do as well. Um, at an absolute baseline, as, as an employer, our job is to create a safe workplace. So if people are coming to work feeling unsafe to be themselves, then that's a problem. And we know workplace relations law makes very clear bullying and harassment is a safety issue. So that's absolute baseline. But it's so much beyond that. It's about creating networks where there is not a mentality of tolerating difference but a mentality of celebrating difference. Mm. And I think we have really moved effectively into that space at Allen's for a number of years now through having our all-in LGBTQI network um, and being really visible with that network, running lots of events, training staff and our lawyers so that they understand homophobic language, they understand inferences that can be drawn from improper language just so they're aware their eyes open um, and really demonstrating leadership, making sure that we have allies at very senior levels within the firm who are really committed and, and out and proud to be allies um, of our community so that that creates such a sense of, of celebration and, and certainly safety, I think. Definitely. And I, I think that some people who aren't members of the community might not realise how 
much this means and how often it comes up. You know, it's mm. it, it it does tend to come up quite a bit at work in that, you know, people have photos of their partners or spouses on their desk or, you know, people ask what you did on the weekend. And, you know, I even remember at the beginning of our grad year, we were asked, it was right after Mardi Gras mm. and we were and <laughs> and the presenter asked, you know, like, did anyone go? And I put up my hand and kind of felt a little embarrassed at first. And I was like, hang on, like yeah. I saw like half of you there. <laughs> you know, like it, it is the thing that comes up a fair bit. And having an environment where you feel comfortable to be honest about that, it makes such a difference in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that environment that we've experienced is actually cultivated over such a long period of time with all of the things that you talk about, Rachel. So it's important to recognize as well that it, it it actually doesn't just happen overnight and it takes hard work and it takes sometimes tough conversations, many of which we haven't been privy to because we've been lucky enough to enter the firm in, you know, 2020, where those exactly. tough conversations don't need to be had every single day anymore. So um, it, it is it is um, really important to keep that work up. Definitely. And there's so many challenges still out there. I mean, yes, marriage equality has been accomplished, but that is totally the tip of the iceberg. And there's, you know, even for people who have had, you know, relative degrees of privilege and upbringing, being out at work is a really difficult thing to be sometimes. So it's, I think conversations like this are really important to remember that there's still so far to go and so much more we can do, but it, it starts with hard conversations. Yeah. And particularly given that we are um, only a certain cross-section of the LGBTQI community, uh, there's there's a long way to go. So uh, Andy and Rachel, we, we like to wrap up our episodes by asking if you would have any advice for uh, any of our listeners at home who might be thinking about um, a career in law. What would you say to your former self um, in relation to being an LGBTQ person in law? Uh, if you could go back to when you first started. Andy, do you want to start? Well, I have only just first started, to be fair. I'm like three months into the gig. <laughs> go back to um, when, you, when you were in recruitment. Would you change yeah. anything? Would you have any advice? I'd certainly say um, kind of always choose yourself. Like if the vibe isn't right and you're feeling diminished, um, then you're straight up thinking it's not a long-term proposition. Um, there will, and I can almost assure you, certainly be somewhere that celebrates and supports you elsewhere. And I just think you just always, always choose yourself because you're the most important person. Sage advice. Rachel? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think first and foremost, do what you are comfortable with. Don't feel that you have to either not come out or come out, that that is your call. Um, but I would temper that with saying that also give people the benefit of the doubt because people will surprise you. Um, and it's easy to get into those internal stereotyping, in, you know, in internal conversations and they're not always necessarily correct. Uh, but on a practical note, if you're worried about coming out or how you're going to be perceived through an application process or when you start at work, reach out for resources. Most firms now have LGBTQI communities. They have um, diversity and inclusion councils. They have um, HR who are well-versed in these issues. So you can test the waters in safe spaces with members of the community or HR just as a start, just to see how things might go down. And that might help you just to get a bit more data and a bit more insight into the culture of the place that you're, you're going into or you've started at. 
Absolutely. I'm definitely guilty of stereotyping people as like, oh my God, they're going to be so homophobic. And then they're like huge allies. (laughs) (laughs) And they love you and everything about you. (laughs) We do love to amp up the drama though, don't we? We do. We do. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Rachel and Andy, um, for all of your insights this episode. I've personally found it an absolute pleasure and and such a such a privilege to speak to you both um, about this. And I and I I'm sure that many, many people listening will will gain a lot from what you've said. So thank you. If you're at home and interested in learning more about what Alan's does in this space, we will have some more information about our pro bono work in this space in the show notes for this episode. And you can also find more information about our people on our website, which includes some profiles for Pride Month.